Welcome. We're glad you made it. This is Jury, Gateway Jury. Yeah. Okay. Uncalled for completely. And this is Kristen. And Kristen is bit. Okay. Yeah. Uncalled for as well. And Kristen is、uh, visiting with us from Kentucky. Actually, she's not living in Kentucky now. She lives in Northern Virginia. And she is Jury's coach and trainer. So, Kristen is why. Jury looks so good. We've been in a series of messages we're calling self management. And self management is, as we know, the toughest job. And today we, we're talking about what may be the toughest part of the toughest job. Today we're talking about our bodies and managing our bodies effectively. Kristen, good morning. So, how did you get into this, Kristen, the coaching thing, the, the training thing? How did that happen? Well, first of all, I'll say I do not have. Any background in exercise. I have taught elementary music for six years. I was overweight most of my life. The most exercise I got was from marching band <laughs> in high school and college. And I'm working on my master's in music right now, so also not exercise related. So anybody can get into exercise, that's my point. I started CrossFit a few years ago when we were living in Colorado. And why? Well, I had been running a lot and I enjoyed running, but I knew I really needed to get into strength training because it's so good for your body, can help strengthen your bones. And I'm not the type of person that can just go into a gym and work out on the machines. I need to be with people and I needed someone to tell me what to do because I was just confused. And I tried to work out with my husband and I don't like it when he bosses me around. So that's why. <laughs> I have a wife who feels that way too, Kristen.、So. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified to try it for the first time, but they were so nice and so welcoming, and they ended up being like a family to me. And I just I fell in love with it. And CrossFit is really about functional fitness. We do movements that you use in your everyday life squatting, lifting things up off the ground, deadlifts, pushing things up over your head. I don't have to ask my husband to get things off of a shelf or put things up for me. And he asks me now, instead of calling a buddy, to help him put his hard top back on his Jeep. My wife told me on、that. the way here this morning, I shouldn't challenge you. You'd probably beat me up. So <laughs> I hear that. Kristen, why do you think, in your opinion, why don't more people work out? Well, I think it's just we don't think that we have time. A lot of people are strained for time. but... Really, you only need 30 minutes to an hour, like three to five days a week. I'm trying to get her to rest more. She works out too much.、Hmm. I like to work out just five days a week. I like to have two whole days off to recover. But it just really matters on the intensity of your workout. And that's also what we do with CrossFit. We work out at an extremely high intensity. So you can work out, like some of our workouts are like nine minutes. And then we, we'll do some strength stuff after that. But that is going to get your metabolism going. You don't have to work out for two to three hours a day to get results. You've answered this partly, but how do you motivate people? How do you think people are motivated to do this? Well, I think setting small goals for yourself is great. A lot of people, and I used to do this too, used to go in with, like, I want to lose this much weight. And things really shifted for me. When I stopped having a weight loss goal and I started having performance goals, 
before I okay, kind of remember that <clears throat> for for a comment we're going to make later. Yeah, go ahead. Before I started CrossFit and I was running, I would have goals of I want to start do a 5K and then it went up to a 10K and then it went up to a half marathon. I'm not running any more than a half marathon. So, yeah, that's as far as that's going. Um, and then when I started CrossFit, I had goals like I want to do strict pull-ups. I want to be able to do push-ups off of my toes instead of my knees. I want to be able to lift this much weight, those kinds of things. And then the weight loss is kind of like a byproduct of me reaching those goals. And I, I don't know, it was just less pressure. I wasn't stepping on the scale every day. I wasn't beating myself up about the way that I look or how much I weigh. I was, I don't know. Okay. It just was more positive. Remember that as well. You're doing good, Kristen. <laughs> So, uh, Jury, what's your workout schedule? I know you're insane, but what's your workout schedule? So, I work out somewhere between 6 and 11 times a week. Um. Between 6 and 11 <laughs> times a week? Yeah. Okay, but you have the same 7-day week that the rest of us do. I do, and I definitely, I always take Sundays off. I don't do anything on Sundays. Okay, so some days you're working out twice? Two or three times, depending. Okay, yeah, you're insane. Um, so, why do you work out? consistently what, what keeps you motivated so part of it is it, it's just part of my routine it's what I do I get up I get dressed I put on my workout clothes so I'm already ready to go part of it is stress relief um, anybody who knows our adoption story with Ellie working out is part of what got me through it without murdering somebody you know, <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could murder the weight instead of another human being so that was really helpful and it makes me a better human being I mean it makes me a better wife it makes me a better mother it may be a better daughter and it, it enables me to serve people in ways that if I weren't physically fit I couldn't serve okay that's that's really good remember that good stuff I did not set you up for this correct no, you didn't so I mean, you've answered that partly, but what does it have to do with your spiritual life? So, there are a few things. It, first of all, it reminds me of how God has blessed me with physical health. But then also there are a lot of spiritual lessons that are mirrored um, in what's required to be successful in working out. And one is um, consistency. You know, just do it every day or every other day. Just be consistent. You may not have a great workout that day. You may be really horrible. There are days when I'm really horrible and I can't pick up the same amount of weight that I picked up the day before and I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? But I do it anyway and I try anyway. Being persistent. Sometimes you fall off the wagon and sometimes life gets in your way and you just pick yourself back up and do it again. And I find that with my quiet times and the time that I spend with the Lord. Just do it and be consistent, and then be persistent. You know, when you stop and you find that there are breaks, pick yourself back up and start again. And then the other thing is community. I work out partly because I have a community, like Kristen, who will know if I'm not there, who care about me. She cares about me. She cares about what I can do. She cares if I'm having a bad day. And so I have a community of people who are there to hold me accountable, for doing my best, but also who are there to support me and love me and care about what I do. Okay, so we're gonna be talking in a few minutes about managing our bodies well and effectively. I'm gonna have Jeri read the passage that we're gonna be going over, and it's a, it's a strange little passage. 
So we're going to spend some time later kind of unpacking and diving into that passage. Stay with me, because at the end of it, we're going to get to some stuff that's, that's pretty practical. But I want you to hear this. It's really awesome. It has a great message. And what I want you to listen for is this passage that Jerry's going to read for us gives us what I think is the proper motivation and the proper goal for us managing our bodies well. And I actually think that matters. You know, to be honest, and I'm going to say this in a few minutes, to be honest, right from the get-go, it doesn't seem like this is very motivating, but it really is. So kind of look around some of the strange stuff in this passage. I'll explain it in a minute, but it gives us the, the right goal and the right motivation for managing our bodies effectively, and that keeps us pointed in the right direction. She's going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through the end of the passage, and, and I'd love it if you have a Bible or on your phones, if you'd find 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and follow along as Jerry is reading. If you don't have one, it'll be on the screen, and let's go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word as Jerry reads this for us. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Father, we thank you for our health, as Jerry said. We thank you for the ability to be here this morning, for life and breath. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to honor you with our bodies. So we give ourselves to you this morning. We're really thankful well, first of all, God, we are really sorry that we so often don't see ourselves as you see us. Our view of ourselves is bent and distorted by this weird filtering that the culture places over our eyes. And, and Lord, we ask you to forgive us. And this morning, this morning, honestly, give us a little glimpse of who we are in you and before you. So we thank you that you've made all things well, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you make everything glorious. And uh, we celebrate that and ask that today you would help us to take a step forward, a step in the right direction and honoring you with our bodies and giving ourselves to you. We pray all of this in the strong name of Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. 
You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah, I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, um, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. <laughs> Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, okay. you don't know the whole situation, you know? Well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? It isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. So we're at the end of a short series of messages we're calling self-management. Because managing ourselves is the toughest job. And what we've said is, in order to be people who are growing up toward God in worship, we've got to use our resources well. And using our resources well means managing ourselves. So the first week, we, we talked about time and uh, how to use our time well and what it meant to use our time well. And it's fascinating. I have noticed a couple of times when Nathan Tosco is sitting down here near the front, Nathan will doodle. And he's really, Michelle told me later that Nathan is actually sometimes doodling about what I'm talking about. So I went to Nathan and I said, hey, Nathan, after that first message, the message on time management, would you do some doodling about you know, what God spoke to you, what that said to you? And I thought it would be neat and just a new way to express our worship if we had some honestly semi-professionally drawn pictures that relate to our first two messages. So what we've done is we've gotten two people to do semi-professional drawings. The first one was Nathan for the first week, and then I did a drawing related to last week. So I want you to see Nathan's drawing first. Nathan drew something that related to the first message, the message on time management. So this is Nathan's drawing. How spectacular is that? I know, right? So, well, he's not here, so you don't have to applaud. So he draws an hourglass. Oh, sorry, Nathan. Hey, hey Nathan, sorry, man. He draws an hourglass, and at the top, he pictures spiritual things in heaven. And then there's this filter, which should be over our lives. And what pours down on us is this pure water that we're just kind of swimming in, bathing in, being baptized in. And you notice the person at the bottom who's just enjoying God's blessing, God's presence. There's a lot of detail to this drawing. You should come look at this later. There's a lighthouse up top, which signifies that God directs us as we manage our time well. 
Then we had another semi-professionally drawing related to last week, and I drew that one. And this, we talked about money, and I want you to notice, you don't need to compare the two. We don't want to make Nathan feel bad. But I want you to notice that in the top, it's divided in half artfully. So notice how the picture is composed. And top half, there's a person very sad. See the tears carefully drawn down his face. Sad face. And money is over the top of him. But then in the bottom, this complete transformation, he's got these weirdly elongated arms because he's using his money well, and his money is in the right place. Right? Yes, thank you. Eric, yeah. Yeah. The applause was uh, obnoxious. So we've really probably saved the best for last. Or maybe we've saved the most important for last. That's because I think we can make an argument that our body is the most important resource we have. Now, it's certainly not money, right? You may think first money, but when you're sick, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Just think of that as an example. In fact, if you're sick enough, you'd give any amount of money to feel better. I bet many of you could make an argument for time being our most valuable resource. But again, think about when you're sick. You have lots of time. In fact, you clear your entire schedule, but you don't get anything done, and you don't have any fun. Uh, there's really a way in which we could make an argument that our most valuable resource is our body. When we exercise regularly, sleep well, and eat right, we feel stronger, look better, and live longer. So why don't we do it? Why don't we take better care of our bodies? Okay, there are a variety of reasons, right? Maybe the first reason is just good old-fashioned laziness. As we've said, self-management is the hardest job, and it's not unusual for us to let discipline slip through our fingers. We forget the truth that Bishop William Law laid on us. God has made no promises of mercy to the slothful and negligent. His mercy is only offered to our frail and imperfect but best efforts to practice all manner of righteousness. We have to work at managing ourselves if we want to be rightly connected to ourselves, to God, and to others. Without discipline, without the right effort exerted in the right direction, we will not make any progress. And there are competing priorities, right? There are right priorities. We spend a great deal of time and energy on what's hopefully meaningful work in our lives. We have families. We want to learn and experience. We need to pursue God. And all of these things are good and right, and they take time. So squeezing the right amount of sleep, right meals, and right movement is tough. As Kristen said, sometimes we're just too busy. And thirdly, there are just things out of our control, sickness, for example. And sometimes these circumstances that get our, out of our control, they, they prohibit us from practicing healthy habits. That's it. Most of us have the sense that we could do better. And for some of us, we know we must do better. Well, I honestly believe the passage that Jerry read for us can help. Now, now, you don't have to come to church on a Sunday morning to find motivation aimed at getting you to take better care of yourself physically, especially this time of year. Encouragements to manage our bodies well and helpful hints are everywhere. Every magazine article, every news show you turn on, we should be extremely motivated. And we should know how to do this. But for many of us, that noise doesn't help much. And it may even be part of the problem. At the very least, all the noise that we hear this time of year is not the whole solution. In fact, it may be, follow this, it may be that we are being fed the wrong motivation and we end up with the wrong goal and because of that we hit the wrong mark. 
Let me say it again. We may be being fed the wrong motivation, and we end up with the wrong goal, and because of that, we never really hit our mark physically. Now, I'm not suggesting that the problem lies with the magazine articles we read and the testimonials we hear. We, we can't blame it on that. Uh, those things can be very helpful, but they often point us in the wrong direction. In the long run, that won't be helpful. I actually believe that having the right goal and the right motivation can help us. Self-management will still be challenging, but in the long run, the right goal and the right motivation will send us in the right direction. And the passage that Jerry read for us this morning gives us that. It gives us, seriously, the right goal and the right motivation for managing our bodies well. So I'm going to read just her first two verses again. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 14, and, and listen to this opening. I have the right to do anything or everything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything, Paul says, because you guys, you're, you're often, he's saying to the Corinthians, you're often mastered by those things that you think you have the right to do. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. All right, so... Throughout this entire letter that we know of as 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses a variety of questions and concerns. He addresses the practice of bringing lawsuits against one another. He addresses general questions about marriage. He addresses the appropriateness of, of buying and eating food sacrificed to idols. And then in this passage, he needs to, to address the habit they have of visiting prostitutes. Now, even though visiting a prostitute could involve some strenuous exercise, it's not the kind of exercise we're looking for, right? So what has this got to do with us? Well, the argument Paul lays out for prohibiting this and the eternal principle he appeals to, this can be very, very helpful. And that's what we need to hear. First of all, he addresses the way they think about their bodies. So let me explain. The ancient Greeks tended to view the human body as an encumbrance to be overcome. The only thing that really mattered was the soul, what was internal. Now, there was a minority report that advocated for a healthy mind and a healthy body, but generally, much of Greek philosophy considered the body, the physical body, to be insignificant. For example, there was a Greek proverb that stated, the body is a tomb. You'll still find this kind of thinking today in certain New Age circles, and even in some Christian circles, but not usually. So the real goal of much of their religion and their philosophy was to help a person to get beyond their body, in a sense, to transcend the body and get to the only thing that really mattered, the soul or the spirit. And this underlying Greek assumption led to two schools of thought. Some people argued that, that since the body was a tomb, you need to do everything you could to eliminate it and all of its passions. So discipline and structure and denial. As much as possible, you should deny yourself food and wine and sex and, and all pleasures. Mortify the body was the war cry of that school of thought. And the second line of thought said, well, since the body is unimportant and what you do is completely irrelevant to the soul, why not become an all-out stark raving lunatic and a, a hedonist? Deny yourself no pleasure. Indulge yourself in everything because it doesn't matter anyway. All right, these two schools of thought 
are behind what Paul says in verses 12 and 13. He's mimicking the Corinthians, and then he's responding to them, to, to some of their own slogans. So follow this. I've got this on the screen for you. It kind of goes like this. The Corinthians say, everything's permissible for me. Everything's allowed for me. I can do anything. Paul responds, look, but not everything's beneficial. The Corinthians say, well, everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, okay, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. The Corinthians say, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. In other words, our bodies, are, they're just our bodies. They don't matter for spiritual things. They don't matter after we leave them. And Paul counters this in a really interesting way, doesn't he? He offers the right way to see our bodies. He counters their sing-songy message, the, the, the food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. And what he essentially responds with is the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body, and God's going to raise them both. And then he can't help himself. He throws in that phrase, the body is for the Lord, not for sexual immorality. And the Lord is for the body. And they're both going to be raised, our body and his body. And here is our right motivation. Our body is for the Lord. Our body is not an encumbrance. It's not something that gets in the way of our spirit. It's not something to be overcome. Our body is a critical part of how things are and how they're supposed to be. Let me say again, our body is a critical part of how things are, critical, and how they're supposed to be. Our body is for the Lord. In other words, this, this, this physical world is how God meets us through our body. Reality, ultimate reality, is not some disembodied spiritual existence. The reality that God created involves a physical expression. Reality was created with a physical expression. And as if to add emphasis to this point, God himself took on a body in Jesus. Our body is for the Lord. In other words, we're like little Jesuses. God's compassion meets human needs through our hands. God's love grabs human hearts through our eyes and, and our voice. Physically, our body is for the Lord. The universe is physical, and God involves himself and invests himself in the physical universe primarily through our bodies. I was watching the inauguration on Friday. I don't know how many of you got to see much of it, but Chris Cuomo of CNN said a, a really interesting thing at one point when he was commenting on the inauguration. They were talking about all the security that now surrounds President Trump and his family, and Cuomo said this, this is going to be really difficult for Mr. Trump to get used to. He's got to accustom himself to the idea that he no longer belongs to himself. He belongs to the American people. Paul says the same thing about us later in this passage. You are not your own, he says. Our body is for the Lord. And then he, he offers the other side of that, and the Lord is for the body. In other words, this body is the context where there, a relationship, a connection with God happens. It happens here. This, within our bodies, is where spiritual connection happens. The Lord doesn't come to us in some disembodied state. He comes to us in the context of having a body. And the resurrection of Jesus just emphasizes and confirms this truth. Verse 14, by his power God raised the Lord bodily, he means, from the dead, and he will raise us also. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, and so will we be. 
Our body matters for eternity. I like the way one author described this. He said this, the resurrection of Jesus is like the first domino falling in a field of dominoes. The rest is inevitable, and this happens bodily. This, then, is our proper motivation for taking care of ourselves. Don't worry, I'm going to get to stuff like eating and exercise in a minute, but let's finish with Paul's argument. Paul goes on to explain that our connection with Christ is so intimate and so profoundly physical that our bodies are literally, his word, members of Christ. What a crazy metaphor that is. The word member here is a word that's used to describe an arm or a leg or a finger. In other words, we are an appendage of Christ. We're part of him. Our bodies are connected. Our bodies are connected to him. And this is how he argues against prostitution. He doesn't moralize. He doesn't talk about the ethics or women's issues or men's issues. He talks about our physical reality. Why would you connect Christ to a prostitute, Paul says? Because that's what you're doing when you join a prostitute. This is not unimportant. Your body is not insignificant. It's not something that has to be overcome. It's a central part of your spiritual connection to God and a central part of you, of who you are. It's the context and the vehicle for how you relate to God and how he relates to you. In essence, he's saying to these Corinthians, you're not looking at your bodies the right way. You, you don't understand what a profound thing you're doing, and that's part of the reason you're messing up. Now, let me say... A quick word before we go on about this prostitution thing. This is a weird and foreign thing for many of us to think about. Uh, certainly, I know that some of you may struggle with this particular uh, temptation, but for many suburban Americans, this isn't really much of an issue. And frankly, it seems pretty repugnant to us. So in order for this to grab our attention, I want us to fill out the context a little bit so you'll understand more the, the eternal principle behind what Paul is saying. Prostitution was a widely practiced and culturally accepted practice in Corinth. In fact, in some settings, prostitutes were used in acts of worship. That's right, I said it. In some settings, prostitutes were used in acts of worship. When praying for a productive crop year, for example, there were some cults in Corinth that believed that those prayers could be enhanced by sexual activity with prostitutes, with temple prostitutes. They were hired for the temple. It's not hard to imagine why these cults became so popular in Corinth. And I doubt, honestly, that the Corinthians, the Christians in, in Corinth were commending this practice to one another. And, and I doubt they were bragging about it to one another. But what's going on is that they may have been justifying it in their own minds. Or at least they may have been more lax with themselves about this practice and with one another than, than they should have been. They would hear about it, and, and it, it would be viewed through their cultural lens, and they, they were more relaxed about this in assessing themselves and in assessing one another. If you want a modern parallel, think of the way we mishandle food or the way we use pornography. If we look at either of those fine suburban habits from outside of our own culture, we might think, what? There are Christians who overeat and abuse their bodies? What? There are Christians who intentionally starve themselves? What? There are Christians that look at pornography? 
What? But in our cultural context, these practices don't seem so out of line, really. I'm not trying to shame any of us or make light of the issue of food or pornography. I'm simply trying to demonstrate how our culture can slant our views about what is or is not repugnant. But in our cultural context, we don't see it so. And in their cultural context, prostitution wasn't so. And so do our eating habits. God is without question saying, don't you know how critically important your bodies are to your relationship with me? Then this is our proper motivation for managing our bodies well. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So then Paul takes this eternal principle and he applies it powerfully and specifically. He says, flee sexual immorality. Stay as far away from the practice of, of visiting prostitutes as you can. Too much is at stake. Don't walk anywhere near the temple if Debbie is there because you know Debbie and it will be a temptation to you. Flee sexual immorality. So for us, we're going to broaden the application. To us, I believe the charge is flee overeating. Do whatever you must to build protection into your life so that it doesn't happen. Flee all forms of eating disorder. And if you're struggling with that now, continue that struggle. That struggle is God-honoring. Flee it. Flee pornography. Do whatever you must to keep that away from you. Flee physical laziness. Flee it. Establish boundaries and borders. Whatever you need to do, stay away from it. Flee all forms of body sin. Then he goes deeper, doesn't he? Look at verses 18 and 19. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's part of what I think he means there. Body sins are a different kind of sin. They're not worse, they're just different in that they tend to define us. We're, we're kind of sinning against ourselves. We're altering how we see ourselves even. That's why he responds the way he does. Don't you know that you're a temple? Don't you know you don't belong to yourself anymore? You need to see yourself rightly. These kinds of sins, they violate the context of our relationship with God. And it's not who we are. And yet, when we commit body sins, they redefine us. Think of our sexual brokennesses and how those broken places become defining. They change the sense of who we are. We take that on as our identity. Don't you know, Paul asks, that's not who you are. You're a house in which the Holy Spirit lives. No, 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 Paul says. Don't allow yourself to be defined by your body sin. Don't become that sin instead. And then he ends up giving us the goal of our right management of our bodies. If our motivation is that our body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, then the goal has to be, therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is our proper goal, to honor God with our bodies. So let's get more specific. To the Greeks, to this audience, he's saying, don't disregard your body. 
You need to think differently about your bodies. You need to understand how significant they are, and that will become a guide for you in your behavior. But it's different for us, isn't it? We tend in the exact opposite direction. We don't tend to disregard our bodies. If anything, we tend toward the worship of our bodies. That's why we're so preoccupied with youth and beauty. As a culture, to us, God is saying, don't be motivated by idolizing your body. Don't make your goal to be younger and more beautiful. This is an unachievable goal, and it will eventually be demotivating. And for many, if not most of us, even if we're not aware of it, that is the goal, to be younger and more beautiful. Make your goal instead, God says, to honor me with your body. Did you know that we have approximately 35 trillion cells in our bodies? And they turn themselves over on average every eight years. And every time the human body, the cell in the human body turns itself over, there's a measure of damage. It loses some integrity. So the analogy I read is think of like a, those of you who are 100 years old and you remember cassette tapes. Well, if you made a cassette tape and then you made a, a copy of that cassette tape, it lost some integrity. And if you made a copy of your copy and then a copy of your copy of your copy, each time there was a little bit of audio loss. There was a loss of integrity. That's what happens to our cells. That's why we age. That's why, at the risk of depressing all of us, that's why, listen to this, this will blow your mind. That's why a 65-year-old person is aging at a rate 125 times faster than a 12-year-old. We're not only getting older, the rate at which we're getting older is increasing. So making it our goal to be younger and more beautiful is unachievable, in case anyone hasn't told you that. And it's demotivating. Every spring, Men's Health Magazine tells me to get my beach body going. <laughs> and the example they show me for my beach body is someone I couldn't look like if I was 25 and hired Kristen full time. I have a face and a body made for radio, and I'm never going to look like the guy on Men's Health Magazine. That cannot be my goal. My goal, if I'm going to manage my body wisely, is to honor God with my body. All right, let's be honest. We need to admit something. This goal that I've been talking about isn't that motivating when you first hear it, right? If I think I can look like that guy on the front of men's health, then maybe I can get myself to do 250 sit-ups. But if I'm trying to honor God with my body, I'll never do 250 sit-ups. God is not going to be impressed with my rock-hard abs. <laughs> Having admitted that, I want to quickly say, I don't think that's true. Really, I don't think that's true. It's probably true that God's not going to be impressed with my rock-hard abs, but I don't believe it's true that these eternal principles are not really motivating over the long run. But if they're going to be motivating, they have to be known, and that's what this morning is about. And they have to be remembered, and they have to be made practical. And that's what self-management is about. That's where our self-management comes in. Let me offer a quick parenthesis. 
Let's step outside of this for a second and let's remind ourselves that one of the things that's crazy about what we believe, one of the reasons that I continue, honestly, to be a Christian, other than the fact that God holds on to me, one of the reasons that I try to hold on to him, it works. Now, we are Christians, most of us. We became Christ followers because we realized sometimes slowly and a dawning of our mind and our own realization, and sometimes blindingly and instantly, we realize that it was right and it was true, but it also works. It's the right way to live. Just as a, a quick illustration of that, I want to offer up, I, I saw a, a TED Talk by a guy named Dan Butner. It's called How to Live to Be 100 Plus. And he led a lengthy, long-term international study of blue zones across the world, and they identify a blue zone as an area where people have a much higher than normal longevity. So they live to be 100 plus at a much higher rate than the rest of the world. They looked, for instance, at the, the highlands of an, the island of Sardinia, and they looked at a, a spot in Okinawa. They identified seven of these places that, where people live to be over 100 at a much higher rate than the rest of the world. They identified the terms of this study. They identified nine factors that these people had in common. They all had in common with one another. Listen to these. I'm just going to do this quickly. Number one, I thought this was interesting. They move naturally, not in the way that we think of exercise. They just don't live sedentary lives. Their lives are very, very busy. There's a lot of exercise in their lives. There's a lot of walking. There's a lot of moving. There's a lot of activity. And secondly, he created a category, he called it, they have the right outlook. And listen to the outlook. He says, they take time to downshift, to step out of the hustle and bustle of life. And then he admitted, actually, most of them pray. And then he said, they have a, in this right outlook, they have a sense of purpose, and they don't lose it over the course of their whole lives, which is exactly what following Christ gives us. His next category was, and this was good, they eat wisely. There were three specifics under this. He said they take a little bit of wine each day. They tend to eat a plant-based diet, and he spelled that out a little bit. They eat more plants than meat, and plus they eat uh, grass-fed animals instead of corn-fed animals. And then, maybe most importantly, they have strategies, and this was a fascinating part of it. They have strategies that keep them from overeating. But the final category I found fascinating he created a category called They Connect Well. And he said, this is the foundation of all of it. He said they put their families first. They tend to belong in huge numbers. They tend to belong to a faith-based community. This, by the way, tends to increase life expectancy to between 4 and 14 years. And finally, they belong to the right tribe. They connect to a group of people that encourage them to be healthy. This sounds like the book of Proverbs. Following Christ is not only right and true, it's also good. It works. Our lifestyle works. And if we are motivated by knowing that the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord, and if our goal is to honor God with our bodies, we will be moved to manage our bodies well and rightly. We'll use this resource with wisdom and purpose. Let's just end today with a couple of dial-ins. 
Why don't you spend some time, you and I, this week, this week, practically, spend some time thinking, what does it mean that my body is for the Lord and the Lord is for my body? Contemplate that. Secondly, contemplate, think about, how do I honor God with my body? In some of your cases, health is not great right now. What does it mean to honor God in the midst of that? In some cases, you are young and strong. What does it mean for you to honor God with your body right now? And finally, what does flea body sin look like practically for you? Does it mean making arrangements for a season for someone in your small group to eat dinner with you every night? We've had somebody at Gateway practice that for a while. Does it mean for you to join one of those eating systems and to tell somebody that you're doing so and to pray for you, to get, as Kristen was talking about, encouragement, community, connection. I can't do it alone. I need somebody to work out. Does it mean having a workout buddy? Does it mean hiring someone like Kristen to say, yeah, okay, go do that. Way to go. Does it mean putting some kind of protection on your computer? What would it mean for you to flee body sins so that you walk in a new kind of freedom in relation to your body? Because body sins are incredibly damaging. Some of you know this from personal experience. They're incredibly damaging because they begin to redefine us. They change who we think we are. And let's just don't let that happen. What's remarkable about this whole idea of a body, and especially when you think about it philosophically and what Christians think about the body, you know, sometimes we can get caught in that trap, us as Christians. It's all about my spirit, all the spirits. What's going on inside of us? That's, Jesus says it's, all, it's about the inside. It's not about what's on the outside. It's, a, it's about what's on the inside. But that all gets carried, all of that, all us, we get carried in this physical package. And this physical package is critically important to God. So much so, God was so interested in honoring the physical universe that he entered it. He took on a body. So we're going to celebrate that right now for a couple of minutes. Jesus took on a body, and not only did he take on a body, but he accomplished God's purposes in the world his primary purpose of drawing us back to himself, he accomplished that purpose through the physical body of Jesus. What Jesus eventually did with that body is he allowed it to be hung on a cross. And to make sure that we got the message that his arms are always open to us, he had them nailed, separated. So you are invited this morning, our last few minutes together, to celebrate this together. We're going to celebrate his body and his presence together with a memorial meal. We're going to remember him, and we're going to think about what it means that the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord, and we're going to think about what it means to honor God with our bodies. As we go to that, let's pray. And I'm going to ask if you would, let's do some spiritual aerobics. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we give you permission this morning to change what you must in order to remind us to take this truth deeper to drill it in, Lord, that our bodies are for you and you are for our body and we want to, we need to, we long to, it's right and good for us to honor you with our bodies. 
Lord, as a, a special reminder of that, we remember Jesus and his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. We're so thankful for that. Lord, I pray especially this morning for anyone who's here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a connection with you. I pray that you would speak in ways that we can understand. Believers, let's affirm our faith together. Say this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In this same letter, one of the issues, remain standing, in this same letter, one of the issues that Paul addresses is how to act right in worship. And he talks specifically about this meal, and he says, look, don't come to something like this unadvisedly, his word. You need to really consider yourself and lock in. So if you're visiting today, if you can receive communion in whatever fellowship you've ever been a part of, then you can receive communion here. But let's make sure that we do it with clean hands and a pure heart, and that's just not available to most of us. Unless we say, I'm so sorry. And then he says, done. So let's go to the Lord and confess our sins. Father, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have left undone many things that we needed to do. And we've done things that we should not have done. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Give us and have mercy on us because of what you did in Jesus. We're so thankful that you told us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we receive that this morning. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So as you sit down, I want you to turn to someone next to you and say, her body is for the Lord. And they're going to say to you, I know it's weird, but do it anyway. And they're going to say, and the Lord is for your body. You don't have to say it with that weird emphasis, but your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. All right, turn to someone and say that and then be seated. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread from the meal, the Passover meal, and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This bread is my body broken for you. And I imagine that the disciples, being the kind of holy people that they were, like we are, I imagine their response was something like, what? I had no idea what he was talking about. But they would see his body broken for us. So you're going to be priests to one another. You're going to turn to the person next to you, and you're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take off a piece. Let's pass the body of Christ. Body of Christ broken for you. Take it and eat.
At the same meal, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for, for the forgiveness of your sins. So you'll turn to the person next to you and say, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pass it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, for Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the end. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. We've said this before here at Gateway, but you know, let's remember. Jesus did what no self-respecting rabbi would ever do, what no religious guy would ever do. He took a 1,400-year-old ceremony, a meal, every year where they celebrated something that Moses had done 1,400 years ago. And he said, it was me. It was always me. It was my blood. It was my body. This whole ceremony was me. And I'm about to do it for you. And then he did. Take it and drink. Let's stand together and finish that song. Ever 